Our scripture lesson for this evening is taken from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 13, page 1390, page 1390 in the Pew Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at 13, and reading through chapter 2, verse 3. First Peter 1.13, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your sojourning here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which, by the gospel, was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. As far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. I invite you to uh, uh, turn to the uh, back of the uh, Trinity Psalter hymnal to the Heidelberg Catechism. In conjunction with our scripture passage, we look at Lord's Day 25, Lord's Day 25, on page 882, the bottom of the second column, Lord's Day 25. It is by faith alone that we share in Christ and all his benefits. Where then does that faith come from? The Holy Spirit works it in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel and confirms it by the use of the Holy Sacraments. What are sacraments? Sacraments are visible, holy signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by our use of them He might make us understand more clearly the promise of the Gospel and seal that promise. And this is God's Gospel promise. He grants us forgiveness of sins and eternal life by grace because of Christ's one sacrifice accomplished on the cross. 
Are both the Word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the Gospel and confirms by the Holy Sacrament that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments did Christ institute in the New Testament? Two. Holy Baptism and the Holy Supper. Beloved of the Lord, the author of the book of Hebrews says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so we have, over the last number of weeks, through our study of the Catechism, summarizing the teaching of Scripture, been considering the subject of faith. Faith is that by which we are saved. We've looked at the necessity of faith, the nature of faith, the content of faith, and the profit of faith. But now we move on to its origin and source. Where does faith come from? And the Catechism points us to the Holy Spirit who uses preaching to Uh, give birth to faith and strengthen faith and to the sacraments which the Holy Spirit uses to confirm faith or to give assurance of faith. And so we want to consider then these two things. The Spirit creates faith and strengthens faith through the preaching of the Word and the Spirit uh, confirms faith through the sacraments. First of all, uh, the Bible does indeed teach that it is the Holy Spirit who makes us believe. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, and dead people, spiritually dead people, do not have the capacity to be alive to God and to believe in God. And so he must come and give us that new birth. Unless one is born of of the water, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. We looked at that passage in John 3 a number of weeks ago. The water there is a reference to the Old Testament waters of uh, cleansing, and uh, especially to Ezekiel 36, where uh, God says through his prophet, I will sprinkle you with clean water, and uh, then goes on to say immediately, I will put my spirit within you. The spirit, the spirit comes and the spirit washes us. Titus calls it the washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit, or Paul's letter to Titus calls it the washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That new birth is how the Spirit makes us alive so that we are capable of believing. But with the new birth, the Holy Spirit opens our hearts and our minds to the truth of the gospel. The gospel is something which we we don't have the the capability of understanding unless the Holy Spirit makes us alive and and gives us the ability to see the light, to to see the truth. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the man without the Spirit, the man who doesn't have the Spirit, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness, and they cannot understand them, for they are spiritually discerned. Before the new birth, we we don't understand. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, We may 
uh, understand the the propositions uh, that are set forth in Scripture, but uh, they seem foolishness to us, and, and we reject them. But when the Spirit comes and gives new birth and lets the light of truth shine in our hearts and minds, then uh, all of a sudden we have that aha moment. I see. Now I understand. Uh, Now I can uh, appreciate what the Bible says and the truth that is revealed therein. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says, No one can say, Jesus is Lord, unless except by the Holy Spirit. Of course, that doesn't mean that someone can't say those words, but he's talking there about a a profession of faith, and he was talking about that profession of faith where uh, people had to choose between saying Caesar is Lord or Jesus is Lord, and uh, if they said Jesus is Lord, they risked martyrdom, being uh, thrown to the lions. And uh, Paul says that uh, when people make that good confession... It's because the Spirit has been at work in their hearts, in their minds, giving them that new birth, opening their minds to the truth of the Scriptures. When uh, uh, in John uh, 16, Jesus uh, promises that when when He comes, and He's referring there to the Spirit of truth, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Spirit comes, and the Spirit is the one who shows you that indeed you are a sinner and that you cannot save yourself and that unless you have a perfect righteousness before God, you have no hope of being accepted by God. And that indeed God's judgment that we deserve has fallen on Jesus so that we might be forgiven. Now, this, uh, this truth that it is the Spirit who, who gives us new birth and opens our hearts and minds to understand the gospel, that this uh, is something that God does for us, it has uh, practical application uh, in our lives. It means that if, if you are a believer, you have to confess uh, very quickly and readily that, that the fact that you are a believer is a gift, a gift of grace. Uh, uh, Paul, uh, writing uh, again in Ephesians 2, says uh, that we are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. One of the reasons we gather here together is to give thanks to God and to give praise to Him because of this great gift that He has given to us, the gift of faith to, to make us alive and make us able to understand uh, the truths of the gospel and the promises of forgiveness. Uh, this is a, a gift, and for that gift we owe Him thanks and praise. Uh, every day we should give thanks to God that He has given us this, this gift. Another practical application of this truth is that it it should make you very humble with regard to those who don't believe. You know, there are some religions that teach that uh, convert or die, you know. Uh, You're you're given the opportunity to believe, and if you reject that faith, then then the adherents of that faith believe that they have the right to, to put you to death. And it's, it's not just the, uh, the Islamic faith that is like that, but it's those who uh, believe in uh, political correct uh, philosophy, all the, the uh, 
social causes that uh, are politically correct at this time. If, if you don't embrace them and publicly endorse them, uh, then uh, you deserve to be canceled. You deserve to be shunned. You deserve to be ridiculed. You deserve to be silenced. Uh, people who have embraced certain political agendas and causes, uh, the, the politically uh, correct way of thinking now, uh, they look down upon anybody who, who disagrees with them. And they despise those who disagree with them and say, uh, if anything bad happens to you, you deserve to have something bad happen to you. And if you get uh, canceled on Facebook or Twitter, well, that's, uh, that's your own fault. You deserve to be canceled. You deserve to be shunned. You deserve to be ridiculed because you haven't embraced uh, the truth. Uh, it's that kind of thinking that that flew planes into the Twin Towers and uh, uh, into the Pentagon and tried to fly a plane into the uh, in, into the uh, the Capitol building. Uh, you know, if you don't agree with us, you deserve to die. Uh, it hasn't gone quite that far, but uh, uh, there are some elements of the uh, politically correct uh, contingents of our society that perhaps. Uh, do think that uh, people need to die to, to wake them up, to wake the rest of the world up to, to the truth of their cause. After, after 9-11, there was a lot of uh, talk about how anybody who believes any kind of fundamental fundamentalism, any religion of fundamentalism, uh, is a danger to society uh, because uh, the Islamists who uh, flew planes into the Twin Towers were fundamentalists, you know, Islamic fundamentalists. And so anybody who, who believes in, in fundamentalism, anybody who believes in absolute truth must be a danger to society. Yeah, it's a good thing we, uh, we found that out because uh, uh, we, we need to be aware of uh, Amish terrorism and uh, uh, things of that nature, right? Well, no, it, it's not believing in absolute truth that makes you a, a dangerous society. It's, it's what truth you believe in. And the truth that we believe in is in a God who has humbled himself and taken the form of a servant and suffered even unto death in order to save his enemies. And now that God who has humbled himself and died to save his enemies says, has made us his friends and calls us also to have a heart of compassion for the lost, not to lift ourselves up in pride and arrogance and say, oh, you stupid people who don't believe what we believe, you, you deserve to be shunned and ridiculed and maybe even put to death because you haven't embraced the Christian faith. No, we say, but there, but for the grace of God, go I. Uh, God has been gracious to us, and we pray that he will be gracious to others, and we pray that we might be winsome for Christ toward those who are now hostile to the gospel, that we may somehow love them in a way which will bring them to a knowledge of the truth, that we may be the agents through which uh, the Spirit works through the Word in their lives as well. Because it is a grift of... Uh, of grace, we also recognize, because faith is a gift of grace, we not only are thankful to God, we are not only humble toward uh, others, 
But uh, we also recognize that you and I can't make anybody else a believer. We can't uh, use psychology and uh, emotional manipulation to try to make people make a decision for Christ. Uh, It's our job to simply present the truth of the gospel and let the Spirit do the work. And so we reject those uh, uh, kinds of religion, uh, uh, brands of Christianity that... uh, and try to uh, uh, manipulate people emotionally through humor or music or drama or uh, other emotional means to to get them to break down their resistance and uh, make a decision for Christ. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the uh, uh, great uh, British uh, preacher of the last century, that he one time was uh, preaching and uh, his evening sermons were usually very evangelistic and he saw someone in the the congregation that night when he was preaching evangelistically, he saw that person uh, silently weeping in the the pew as he listened to the sermon and and weeping at the appropriate time, you know. And uh, so uh, he determined that after the service he would... He would confront the man and, and say to him, you know, do you want to come with me to my study and, and we'll pray and, and uh, you can receive assurance that your sins are forgiven. But uh, as it happened, uh, the man, uh, uh, the crowd and such was such that uh, Dr. Jones couldn't, uh, couldn't get to him and, and uh, they simply shook hands and the man left. Uh, the press of the crowd made, uh, prevented a conversation impossible. So two days later, he saw the man on the street and said, you know, I saw you in church and I saw you were deeply moved, emotionally moved by the sermon. Uh, And uh, I assume you were deeply convicted of your sin. And and do you you want to become a Christian? And uh, the man said, well, you know, you're right. I was deeply moved, but I don't feel that way anymore. I'm not interested anymore, you know. And Dr. Jones tells the story to say, you know, if it had been the Spirit, if the Spirit had moved the man, the man would still be convicted. But if it was simply an emotional response to a very moving sermon, uh, then, of course, it it doesn't last. Uh, And so uh, Paul says, you know, my message and my preaching was not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Uh, Preach the truth and uh, let the Spirit uh, do the work and don't try to manipulate people emotionally. But now, we've emphasized that the Spirit is the one who creates faith. But how does He create faith? Well, He creates faith through the preaching of the Gospel. God certainly could create faith in our hearts uh, instantaneously, automatically, without any uh, gospel preaching, but uh, he's a God who works by his word. He created by his word, and he recreates by his word. He said, let there be light, and there was light, and now through his word he also brings you to new life. <clears throat> we read from First Peter chapter 1, verse 23, You have been born again through the living and abiding word of God. And this was the word that was preached to you. 
The preached word is the living and abiding word of God, and the Spirit takes that word and and uses it to uh, reach into your heart and into your lives and to to change you. Uh, Paul writes in Romans 1, the gospel, the gospel, the good news of who Christ is and what he has done is the power of God unto salvation because the Spirit uses the gospel to create faith in our hearts. In Romans 10, Paul uh, speaks of the power of the Word in creating faith when he asks that series of questions. You know, how are they to believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how can they hear with unless someone is sent? And he concludes those series of questions by saying, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. And uh, Paul, again writing in 1 Corinthians 1.21, says, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. We have that powerful example of the power of preaching uh, in Ezekiel chapter 37, where the prophet is commanded to preach to a valley of dry bones. And just the, the preaching of the, of the Word of God to those dry bones brings them to life. And that's a picture of what God does. He, he, uh, he makes us alive through the Word. And this is, this is God's way of honoring you as, as rational, moral creatures made in His image. You know, if, if we were robots or computers, He'd simply uh, uh, reboot us and, and reprogram us and update our programming and and it would happen to us automatically without any act of the will on our part. But he made us volitional creatures, creatures with a will. And uh, he's not honored if a, uh, a computer sings a song of praise to him because somebody just programmed that computer to do that. And it, it's, it's not something the computer freely chooses to do. And so it's, it's not God honoring But God is honored when you freely choose to praise Him in response to the fact that that He has blessed you and and called you to Himself through your mind, through your understanding, and uh, by uh, calling you to obey the gospel. Now again, this uh, truth has uh, great uh, practical application to the life of the church, Uh, it makes uh, preaching uh, vital uh, to the life of the church, not optional. Uh, many uh, churches confronted with declining attendance turn to kind of uh, liturgical razzle-dazzle when, they, uh, when what they really need is uh, the preaching of God's Word. When I was uh, young in the ministry, I had a, uh, a colleague in Florida, a fellow minister, who... Uh, confided to me that he he really didn't think very highly of the practice of preaching he didn't think it accomplished very much he thought he could he could uh, communicate better to people one on one particularly if for example they had their heads under the hood of a car and were discussing um fuel combustion and uh, uh the ratio of uh, a mixture of fuel to air and so forth in the carburetor. And uh, he said, I'm able to, to get to know people and, and, uh, and communicate the love of Christ by, 
by showing my interest in what they're interested in. And, and that's such, such a much more powerful witness than, than preaching. Uh, if he doesn't believe that preaching is all that powerful, then he's, he's not going to put much effort into it. I had another uh, colleague in, in ministry in the early years of my ministry who, uh, who told me that he was so busy with so many different things that the only time he had for sermon preparation was when he was driving in the car. And uh, he would uh, pick a text while he's driving, and then he'd think about it while he was driving. And if he came to a stoplight, he would uh, quickly jot down some uh, thoughts on a, on a yellow legal pad. And, and that was his sermon preparation. Well, you know, if, if people don't believe in preaching, that it's an effective means of communication. And if people don't invest themselves in studying for it and preparing well to to do it, it stands to reason that when they do stand in the pulpit and preach, the congregation isn't going to get much out of it. And if the congregation doesn't get much out of it, the congregation, they may say, we have a really poor preacher, or they may say, um, you know, I kind of agree with the preacher that preaching really isn't what we need today, you know, and, and they'll, uh, they'll start looking for other things as well. Uh, but Paul writes to Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Indeed, uh, many modern preachers uh, tell us that the, that's what the Bible is. It's just a lot of myths and uh, allegory and uh, not uh, to be taken literally. And, and so they, they get their uh, subject for their preaching from some book or editorial or magazine article that they've read. And uh, they stand up and they share ideas. Uh, uh, they use uh, a text as a jumping-off point. I've heard ministers say, I like to use this text as a jumping-off point. Uh, uh, but then he jumps far away from the text. He doesn't uh, land uh, in the text. He lands uh, far from it. And, and they're not preaching the Word. But the Word, the God, the Gospel of who Jesus is and what He came to do, what He has accomplished and what He will do, that is what the Holy Spirit uses to create faith in our hearts and to uh, strengthen that faith uh, day by day. And so we need to uh, continue to uh, prepare preachers to preach well, to get them a good education and learn how to uh, make sermons and to study hard for them and put a lot of effort into it and to believe what they're doing is worthwhile. But not only does the Spirit uh, create faith and strengthen faith through the preaching of the Word, He also confirms faith uh, through the sacraments. Sacraments uh, strengthen, they nourish, they support faith, uh, but they're not used uh, to create faith. Now, we might ask, what is a sacrament? And 
There's no one text you can go to in the Bible uh, to define sacrament. Even the word sacrament is not found in the Bible. Everybody kind of agrees that there are sacraments, and uh, although not all agree as to how many there are, but uh, nonetheless, uh, you look at what's there and you say, what, how do you describe what's there? How do you describe the Lord's Supper and how do you describe uh, baptism? Well, it's, it's a religious practice commanded by Christ. It employs the use of symbols. Uh, it's designed to be continued to use, to use until Christ comes again. Uh, he says, you know, do this uh, 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 in remembrance of me and uh, until he comes again. And uh, it, it's given to convey grace uh, and the assurance of the gospel. Uh, so that when you partake of this symbol in faith, you're not only... Uh, just remembering, it's not just a memorial, but it's, it's a real reception of grace through faith, which the Spirit uh, does. The, the Spirit uses the Word to give grace to you, and the Spirit uses the sacraments to give, faith to, give grace to believers. Uh, some have said uh, that marriage ought to be considered a sacrament, but marriage is not commanded. Uh, it's... Uh, it's the general rule. There are exceptions, of course. Uh, not all are called to be married, but uh, because it's not commanded, uh, we can't uh, call it a sacrament. Some have uh, looked to foot washing, which Jesus did uh, the night before he was crucified, but there's no evidence that he meant for that to be repeated. There's no command to, uh, to repeat it. And there's no promise that grace will be conveyed by the act to those who participate in it in faith. Uh, Greeting one another with a holy kiss is commanded, and it is symbolic, but it is not really tied to the heart of the gospel. It doesn't point us to uh, the crucified body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is what uh, the sacraments uh, are designed to do. It does, uh, uh, however, remind us of the need for being together, that this being together is not optional. There are re times and seasons when it is inappropriate for uh, people to uh, to come to worship, but uh, where God provides the opportunity and where no impediment, uh, legitimate impediment exists, we need to be together. We need to be close to one another. We need to, to greet one another warmly in Christ. Uh, that's part of uh, greeting one another with a holy kiss. The sacraments are not the only means of strengthening faith. Of course, the Word does that too, but the sacraments help greatly because they are visible signs and seals of what uh, the gospel promises. Uh, you know, when uh, Abraham was uh, concerned that God's promises weren't going to be fulfilled, you know, God had promised that he would have that through his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed, and he was led to believe that that seed would not be through Hagar, whom he already had a child, but through Sarah, who was still barren. God came to him in Genesis 17 and repeats the promises, and then gives him a sign, a sign in his flesh, that through his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed, and that through his seed a, a Savior would come. And the sign was given to him to, to confirm the promises, to make the promises of the coming Christ uh, more real to him so that he could uh, see 
uh, a sign of the promises, an assurance from God of the promises. Uh, That's what uh, signs and seals are for. A seal gives insurance. A sign points to something, and a seal assures us of the reality of that thing which it uh, seals. It wasn't enough for Peter on uh, Pentecost uh, Sunday to say, uh, when the crowd said, what must we do? Uh, He didn't say, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, repent, believe, and be baptized. Uh, you, uh, you are sinners and you need to be uh, given the sign and the assurance that your sins, past, present, and future, have been washed away by the blood of Christ. When Christ called Saul, uh, the sinner, to faith, he sent to him Ananias, who said to uh, Saul of Tarsus, Now, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Paul, uh, or Saul of Tarsus had a sinful nature and he had a sinful life of persecuting the church and he would continue to sin. And uh, it wasn't enough to simply call on the name of the Lord for all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But be baptized and wash away your sins. Receive this sign, this assurance from God that your sins, the sins you were born with, the sins you've committed in the past, the sins that you will commit in the future, they have been washed away by the blood of Christ. Baptism is given to you for that as well, that to assure you that your sins have been washed away by the blood of Christ. Does this mean that we... We can't be saved without baptism or without the Lord's Supper. No, it is certainly possible for God to to save people uh, apart from uh, participating in the sacrament. If he doesn't give them opportunity to do it, uh, like the thief on the cross had no opportunity, he won't be penalized because he uh, wasn't uh, a partaker of the baptism or the Lord's Supper. But uh, where God gives opportunity, we ought to recognize that he commands us to participate. Uh, The late uh, uh, Reverend uh, Edward Harima, uh, who was uh, a mentor to me in my first pastorate, he he, uh, retired about the same time that I was ordained and he moved to the congregation that I served uh, just uh, weeks after I was ordained and had much good fellowship with him, and he, he told me of a man in his congregation, uh, the last congregation that he served in Bradenton, Florida, uh, who had been of uh, Netherlands' reform background and uh, who was therefore, uh, because of that uh, background, very reluctant to participate in the Lord's Supper. In fact, the man was in his 80s and had never partaken of the Lord's Supper because he didn't feel that he was good enough to do that. And uh, so uh, Reverend Harima went to him and, and visited him and said to him, Do you realize that Jesus Christ has commanded you to do this? He said, Do this. Do this in remembrance of me. The Bible says that. It's, it's a command. And you're in your 80s now, he said to the man. And, and it won't be many years before you're going to have to stand before Jesus and he's going to ask you, Why didn't you do what I commanded? Why didn't you do what I commanded? You know, by by not doing it, you're 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 disobeying. You're staying away because you you think you're not good enough. But staying away makes you worse. (laughs) You should come because he he commands believers 
to come, do this in remembrance of me. So yes, God can save us without it, if uh, that is in his providence, but where in his providence he gives us opportunity, we should come and receive these signs that point to Christ, to his broken body and shed blood as the only thing that uh, makes us right with God, and not only points us to that as a, a reminder of the gospel, but when our partaking of faith assures us that indeed we participate in that forgiveness. Thank God for the gift of faith through the preaching of the word confirmed by the sacraments. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the great love that you have showered upon us in Jesus Christ. And we thank you that with Christ you give us all that we need. We thank you that you give us the Spirit to awaken us and to make us alive and to open our hearts and minds so that we can understand and of our will uh, come and give thanks and worship and praise to you. And we thank you that uh, you have called us to be humble before the world and uh, not be arrogant about our faith, but to uh, reach out to them in a winsome way to bring them also into the fold of uh, the truth. We pray, Father, that... uh, with thanksgiving that you give us uh, the sacraments to uh, remind us of Christ and his broken body and shed blood as the only ground of our righteousness before you, and uh, that uh, through participation in faith we are indeed nourished and strengthened for eternal life. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.